The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. <laughs> and first pitch, crushing! Deep left field! This is Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. So much happened this weekend. Let's break it all down. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today, and welcome to opening week. Monday, April 4th, just three days away from the start of the season. I am Frank Stample, joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. We've got to talk about injuries, Jacob Grom and Lance Lynn, the Craig Kimbrell trade, spring risers and fallers. Plus, I want to try to predict each and every bullpen. It's a lot. I'm optimistic. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, how was the weekend, Chris? How you doing? Good. I don't think we need to make, waste much, much time on it. <laughs> That's let's, true. Let's get right into it. Let's get right into it. Moneybag Scott, spending a bunch of fab in TGFBI. Yeah. Well, that's the way it turned out. The first <laughs> run of fab and TGFBI. There are a lot of interesting players out there because we drafted before spring training began. So, you know, a lot's changed since then. I thought some of these players would go for 200 plus out of a thousand dollar budget because that's the way it played out in my TGFBI league last year. But it did not play out that way this year. So I won all of Matt Brash, it's a 15 team roto, by the way. I won all of Matt Brash, Mitch Keller, C.J. Abrams, Alex Colomay, and Art Warren for a combined $489 of my $1,000 budget. So, <laughs> Oof. I mean, they're good players to win. They sure are. I'd, I'd rather be too aggressive than too passive, but it's, it's a little scary. It's a little scary to use up half your fab budget right away. Indeed it is. Uh, we'll talk Many, about a few of those players. Some of them will be among the spring risers, yes. Yes, we will talk about yeah. a few of those players. I have some names that I want to mention that uh, have been confirmed. They're going to be on the opening day roster for their respective teams, and Matt Brash is one of them. But first, let's start with Jacob deGrom. This news came out on Friday. Well, late Thursday night, Scott, we were kind of reacting in real time. We didn't have much information. Then, of course, Friday it comes out that Jacob deGrom was diagnosed with a stress reaction in his right scapula. And is shut down for four weeks. As a result, we all lowered him quite a bit outside of our top 50 starting pitchers. Uh, Scott, you have him 142nd overall. I have him down at 175th. And Chris at 163rd. There were 50 drafts on NFBC Saturday and Sunday. DeGrom's ADP was pick 145. Chris, we'll start with you. Uh, Just reaction to Jacob DeGrom here. I mean, if you still have drafts remaining, where are you actually looking to select him? It would be really hard to take him inside of the first 15 rounds, I would say. You know, you reach a point where the the upside is worth the the risk. And 
I don't know. I guess when you're talking about the 15th round range or the 12th round range, whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it, your chances of hitting on anyone in that specific range are, are not great anyway. And there's certainly nobody with the kind of potential to make an impact uh, that Jacob deGrom has. But the problem isn't just that he's going to be shut down at least four weeks. Cause remember it's at least four weeks. It's well, it's, it's actually not at least four weeks. It's definitely a lot longer than four weeks until we'll see him. But the thing is it's shut down for four weeks and then they're going to reassess, take a look at the injury, see if it's healed and then determine if he can start throwing in. And then he would need presumably another month to get back up to speed. So we're probably talking in an absolute best case scenario, a June return, maybe early to mid June. That's the absolute best case scenario for a guy who already had injury concerns that weren't related to this, at least not specifically related to this. I think it's probably fair to assume that these are related in some way. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, it's not just that, you know, now we know Jacob DeGrom is going to miss two months of the season, but the question of whether he could stay healthy is on top of that. So even when he comes back, he then has to be able to remain healthy given the concerns we already had and he already hasn't. So yeah, I, I can't say I don't ex- that you can't expect anything from Jacob DeGrom, but at this point you have to draft him as if you're not going to, if he's, as if he's not going to be a key part of your team. And it sucks. It absolutely sucks. Again, it's like, the worst. Baseball and fantasy baseball is much better when Jacob DeGrom is healthy and pitching. I mean, he's one of the best pitchers. We're seeing the stre- like a stretch right now, a historic stretch for a starting pitcher. Yeah. Uh, and it's just unfortunate that it's one injury after another right now for Jacob DeGrom. Uh, Scott, I remember you know, earlier in the offseason, we were talking about how you wanted, you know, I think it was like six or seven of your top 55 starting pitchers. And basically... That list is dwindling because like, there's so many injuries that keep taking place. Uh, would you consider Jacob DeGrom you know, one of those? Like, are you trying, Is he part of that like, top, I don't know, one of those top 50 or 55 that you'd like to get on your team now? Well, that, yeah, I'm not, sure, I'm not exactly sure where that cutoff is anymore because some have entered that group, some have fallen out of that group. Like, I've, I've lost some confidence in all three of those Tommy John returnees, Mike Clevenger, Noah Syndergaard, and... Luis Severino, so I'm not sure they're part of that group anymore. Uh, I do have DeGrom kind of ranked in that range, so a little outside of it. I I, I think I I think I'm probably more willing. I had a couple drafts this weekend, and I didn't draft him in either. But uh, I'm probably more willing to draft him than Chris is uh, because it's a stress reaction. That's a bone injury, and bone time the timetable for bone injuries is usually a lot clearer than. Muscles are certainly ligaments. Now, because it's a stress reaction, that means it's caused by stress, and what caused that stress may be compensating for the elbow. So that presents a complication. But, yeah, I mean, like Chris said, uh, there comes a point where you're not missing out on much to take that chance on DeGrom, and, and where that point is depends so much on league size, and to an extent, scoring format, mostly league size. Uh, but then also, you know, since we were you were citing NFBC data, and that was one of the two drafts I did over the weekend, no IL spots in that. So if it's a league where he's taken up a bench spot for you for some yeah. un- un- 
indeterminate length of time, then he probably deserves to go 50 spots later or something like that. I'm shocked his ADP was 145 in the NFBC drafts because those have no IL spots, right? I think in the main event leagues, it was much lower. I think it was about 50 spots lower. Yeah. 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 I saw one where he went 280. Yeah, I did a draft on Friday, main event for NFBC, and he went 225th. So it was the last pick of round 15. And again, no IL spots. I think the person who drafted DeGrom drafted all the injury guys in a league with no IL spots. It was like DeGrom, Chris Sale, Strasburg, Flaherty. I'm just, what are you doing? I I don't know. It doesn't make sense like, to I'd, me. I'd but. love to, I'd be fine doing that in a 10 team league with several IL spots. Yeah, yeah infinite you, IL you just, spots. You just sure. backfill off the waiver wire and wait for those guys to come back. And if they don't, by the time, you know, by, by the time they do come back, you've probably figured something else out anyway. So, you know, that's why I think in shallower leagues, it's much more worth doing. But I would say, you know, if we're talking about all the injured starting pitchers, big starting pitchers who've fallen to injury, DeGrom is, is, should be drafted last of that group. Chris Sale, Jack Flaherty, Lance Lynn, who just went down today. Uh, they they should all go ahead of DeGrom. I have them a whole tier ahead of DeGrom. All right, let's talk about Lance Lynn. He will undergo surgery to repair a slight tear in his right knee, and he'll have four weeks of rehab followed by four weeks of ramping up. So like DeGrom, it seems like the earliest we'll see Lance Lynn is sometime in June. He was also being drafted as a top 20 starting pitcher, the ADP 58.8, 17 starting pitcher off the board. Uh, that will not be the case any longer. But uh, Chris, Scott already answered this question. He said that he would rather have Lance Lynn over to Crom. Uh, how about for you, if you're still doing a draft? I don't know. Given that the timetable isn't... Man, that that's a tough question. It well, would the, be the Lynn. Time, the timetable seems real clear for Lynn. That's Right, but, you know... That's assuming he avoids any kind of setback. It is a surgery. You know, there's risk sure. there. The, the way they, I, the way I think they it would have it to is, be Lynn. The way they put it for Lynn is they expect him to be throwing off a mound after four weeks. So that's yeah. pretty, that's pretty definitive. As, as definitive as you're going to get for the recovery from an injury. And of course, it's to his knee and not arm related. So I think it has to be Lynn, but I don't. I certainly don't feel great about drafting Lance Lynn. My my initial thought was to move him down to about 40, you know, 40, 40 to 43 uh, at starting pitcher. Um, there's upside there. Obviously, Lance Lynn, you know, was a top 20 starting pitcher for me beforehand. But yeah, it, it'll be it'll be tough to draft him within the first 140 picks, I would say. Yeah, so my initial reaction was I moved Lance Lynn down to SP50. I moved him one spot behind Jacob DeGrom. Just thinking, you know, best case scenario, if we're projecting both of them to pitch, let's say, two-thirds of the season, obviously DeGrom's upside is still much higher, but uh, I think the the risk of re-injury is, is, is much greater for Jacob DeGrom. So probably yes. got to reconsider that, but I wouldn't be surprised if they go in a, in a similar range in drafts, like whatever, however many drafts are left. This week. I, I kept Lynn inside my top 40, like 39th. I have okay. consecutively, I have Chris Sale followed by Lance Lynn followed by Jack Flaherty. And then, as I said, DeGrom. I would much rather five. have Sale than Lynn at this point. Okay. I would say. And we're still technically waiting for news for Chris Sale. I saw that you know, he wasn't, they, they, he's not throwing again yet. He, you know, he's not able to, to go uh, on a, a throwing program again, but, you know, he says he's feeling better, so. Yeah. 
That's yeah. that's the Feel, good news. Feeling great. Hopes to be cleared soon. Yeah. Uh, all right. So look, these pitchers are dropping like flies right now. Jacob Degrom, Lance Lynn, uh, Scott. Rank these potential waiver ads. It's crazy. We're talking about waiver wire already, but a lot of people already did their drafts, and uh, these are names that are rostered in sixty-five percent or less of CBS leagues. Jesus Lazardo, Hunter Green, Tony Gonsolin, Matt Brash, who has made the Mariners rotation. Scott, how do you rank those four? Uh, let me see if I can catch up to my rankings here. So I think I have them. Jesus Lazardo one. Tony Gonsolin, two. Matt Brash, who just looked awesome this spring, three. And then uh, Hunter Green, four. Matt Brash has looked awesome. Uh, the fastball, he's throwing you know, mid to upper 90s. Got this awesome breaking pitch as well. But he's only he only really throws two pitches. So it's something I want to watch early in the season to see you know how effective he is as a result. But those two pitches are really, really good. So maybe he can succeed in spite of that. Uh, Chris, how about for you? Lazardo, Hunter Green, Tony Gonsolin, Matt Brash. Yeah, I would go Lazardo, Brash, Green. Lazardo, Brash, Gonsolin, Green. All right, let's talk about Craig Kimbrell. He was traded over to the Los Angeles Dodgers for AJ Pollock, and he is now ranked inside the top 10 relief pitchers for each of us. He's seventh for Scott and Chris. He is uh, the 10th relief pitcher in my rankings. Apologies to anybody who drafted Blake Trinan recently. Um, Craig Kimbrell will be the team's closer. They have confirmed that, though. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know if this matters at all, but he's been pretty bad in spring. It, he had another relief appearance this weekend. He allowed four earned runs, two home runs. And the last we saw of Craig Kimbrell when he was with the White Sox last year, 5.09 ERA, 1.22 whip, lots of fly balls, lots of home runs. Uh, so, Scott, talk to me about this move. Craig Kimbrell to the Dodgers. Uh, we gain another closer that we feel good about the role and hopefully the skills, but I don't know spring and his second half was not so good. Yeah. I'm, I'm uneasy about the performance and I was last spring too. Cause you know, he, he was plagued by injuries. Yes. But also awful in 2019 and 2020, the stuff looked good still, but he, he wasn't commanding it very well and a lot of injuries. And then he was awful last spring. So I, I kept myself from drafting him and obviously came to regret that because in 39 appearances for the Cubs, he had a 0.49 ERA, 0.71 whip, 15.7 K per nine. It was his, arguably the best closer in the game at the time he was traded to the White Sox, back to being the best closer in the game. So, you know, I, I don't know that we should put that much stock in his spring performance. The Dodgers, the Dodgers traded for him and with the, with the intention immediately of making him their closer. So, I mean, that's an organization I trust their evaluation of players as, as much as any other, but it does make me a little, look, I'm not somebody who's going to pay up for the, for a top six closer anyway, but if I was, you, you know, I, I could see going like Ryan Presley ahead of him. If you just, if you felt safer with that, I wouldn't blame you. Yeah, so I have Kim- Kimbrell at 10 just ahead. I have Jordan Romano, Chapman, who I'm like, eh, don't feel great about either. But Kenley Jansen, Presley, Class A, Diaz. I would take all of those closers ahead of Craig Kimbrell as well. Chris, talk to me about A.J. Pollock. He slots in as the right fielder for the White Sox. And I know that he's someone that you've talked about liking uh, so far this uh, this offseason. Technically, a slight park upgrade for him as well. So what do you think about this move for A.J. Pollock? Yeah, I mean, he's been awesome the past two seasons. There was a swing change a couple of years ago that uh, seems to have helped out. And it is a park upgrade, and I think it's a slight uh, upgrade in terms of expected playing time. I don't think it's 
a significant enough one to really change how you view AJ Pollock one way or the other, but he is, um, I think he's going to be very productive when he's in the lineup. And I think he'll be in the lineup more for the White Sox than he was going to be with the Dodgers. So I think it's a good thing for him. And, um, you know, Pollock's the kind of guy that you don't really have to draft him inside of the top 200, but he's probably going to be a, a pretty beneficial player for your team. Um, especially in leagues with daily lineups where you can, you know, take advantage of the times he's in the lineup and then slot him out when he's not. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I didn't move him as a result of the trade, but I, I probably had him ranked higher than than you guys did already. I think I had him; he was already inside of my top two hundred. So, yeah, I, I like AJ Pollock. He's a nice player to have around. Chris, also talk to me about what this might mean for Andrew Vaughn. I know Vaughn is someone you've talked about liking this off season and comes with a lot of prospect pedigree. It was a weird season from last year where he's trying to learn a new position and it's his you know first taste of the majors, kind of like rush yeah. to the majors as well. But it seems like there might be a natural platoon there with him and Gavin Sheets as the designated hitter. So I feel like this uh, might hurt Andrew Vaughn. Yeah, I mean, I think it it ultimately comes down to what Vaughn does. If Vaughn hits the way the White Sox clearly hope he can and the, and the way we think he can based on his prospect pedigree and his minor league production, then... I don't think playing time is going to be much of a concern for him. He'll fill in at first base occasionally. He'll play the outfield when AJ Pollock's not playing the outfield, um, and then he'll DH. So it's just it's just a question of whether he can figure it out. And there were Paul Canerico had some really really praiseworthy things to say about Andrew Vaughn today and just his approach and and his swing. So that was that was interesting to see. But yeah, he's definitely someone that I think has more risk of not playing every day as a result of this. And I wouldn't expect him to be in the everyday lineup, but like if Andrew Vaughn gets off to a hot start, I don't know, maybe Gavin sheets will be enough to keep him out of the lineup. But I, like, I, yeah. I think Gavin, Gavin sheets is pretty good, but yeah. Andrew Vaughn is an important part of what the white Sox want to do moving forward. And he's presumably the future at first base with Jose Abreu in his mid to late thirties. So I can't imagine they're going to block him completely like have him on the short side of a platoon if he's hitting right now i can't imagine that either but i can't imagine them just like making gavin sheets a bench player either because they they do seem to like gavin sheets and he was he, he bats left-handed uh and he he was at least last september getting more at bats than vaughn I, I don't think that's how it's going to play out now vaughn uh sheets was one of those players i dropped to pick up all those players in tgfbi but I'm I'm a little worried about Vaughn. Yeah. Uh, with this. Meanwhile, on the other side, you got another Gavin, Gavin Lux, who suddenly has a much clearer path to playing time for the Dodgers. Presumably, they'll continue to platoon him, though they don't have an obvious right-handed hitter who needs to be in the lineup yeah. anymore. Yeah. He, I mean, he his situation's just he needs to hit. Like it's it's sink or swim time for. For Gavin Lux, and he's he's not so old that like it's entirely down to this. But with the Dodgers, with the way they handled someone like Jock Peterson, if you remember, he was a a top ten, top twenty type prospect when he got called up, and they were pretty willing early on to just have him be a part time player. Um, so if Gavin Lux, you know, can't hit lefties, and really so far in the majors, he hasn't really shown much of anything. Mm-hmm. You know, that there really isn't all that much in his major league numbers you know, in, in terms of the, the overall production or the underlying. 
But obviously, Gavin Lux was, you know, he had what, 340 in 2019 in the minors. He was one of the top prospects in baseball. I'm, I'm excited to see a, a somewhat more clear path to playing time for him. He just, he's got to do it now. Yeah, I just, I don't know where he pops off the screen, right? It's, he had a strong September and I, maybe I use that term loosely. He hit 360 with a 967 OPS, but you know, the ISO it was, was terrible. It was like a yeah. bunch of singles. It was with yeah. one homer and one steal. You know, only 17 games, so it's it's a small sample size. I mean, he looked good down the stretch. They were fine. They they wanted to find ways to get Lux in the lineup. They were playing him in the outfield in their most pivotal games in the postseason because they wanted Gavin Lux's bat in the lineup. So I think they still like him. He's just you're right. He's he's got to show us something. He's got to do something. Right now. now, he doesn't pop out of the, off the screen. Like there's there's nothing about what Gavin Lux has done at the major league level that makes you think this is a future key part of a very good team. So it's mostly just belief in the pedigree and what he did at the high minors. I mean, he was arguably the best hitter in the minors in 2019 between double A AA and triple A. He put up, you know, bonkers numbers. And so, you know, I'm, I'm moving him up for sure as a result of this. And, you know, he's now someone that goes from, I didn't really care if I drafted him to, yeah, I'll take a late round flyer on him. A very, He's in my top 24 second baseman now. A very deep name to pay attention to for the Dodgers, Edwin Rios. Uh, they yes. said that they were comfortable making this trade because of the spring Edwin Rios is having. And he has gone seven for 21, three homers, five walks to five strikeouts. And a couple of years ago, he had a monster season in the minors. So they still like mm-hmm. this guy. And if if he's performing well, they, you know, they got a lot of injury-prone players on this team. So yeah. he could work his way well, into, they, to playing time as well. Yeah, they could have him DH. They could stick Max Muncy at second. Yep. Yeah, there's there's a way there's a way they can form their lineup with him in and Lux out. Yep. So NL only leagues for now, and then you know if he plays well, then maybe he'll work his way up. Shaw Manaya was traded over to the San Diego Padres in exchange for two prospects, and I think it's a big upgrade for Manaya in terms of team context and run support, obviously. But you could argue tougher competition here: Dodgers, Giants in the same division. Now he's going to have to pitch some games in Coors Field, obviously. I moved him up a few spots. SP thirty one. I've been ahead of the pack, ahead of you guys on, on Sean Manai. He's someone that I do like drafting quite a bit. Uh, but moving him up was more so a result of just moving other pitchers down. Like Blake Snell, I started to move down a little bit. Luis Castillo. And as a result, Sean Manai is someone that moves up a little bit. Scott, what do you think about this move? Does it matter really for Sean Manai's fantasy value? I mean, I'd, I'd rather him pitch for the Padres than right. the Athletics. The, the truth is I probably... If I really expected him to stay with the athletics all year, I probably should have ranked him lower than I had him. Because after this trade, I looked at it and I said, okay, do I need to move Shamanai up? And, uh, well, remember, I've been grouping him with Nathan Avaldi and Tyler Malley all this time. And, well, I, I still think I'd rather have Nathan Avaldi and Tyler Malley. It's a, it's a pretty crowded situation. It sounds like they're going to go... Well, I don't think they've ruled out going six-man. A lot of teams are going six-man at the start. So maybe that does, we don't need to hold that against them. Um, but Mike Clevenger will be on the IL to start the year with a, a knee issue, minor knee thing. Mm-hmm. I think I think more than anything, they just want to get him time, give him time to get ready coming back from Tommy John. And then, of course, they still have Nick Martinez. If they go six man, I guess that still leaves room for McKenzie Gore. But the the point is when Chris when, Paddock, who was in treatment. Oh, that's true. Paddock's there. Yeah. The point is when everybody's healthy, it's a really crowded group. And I'm not saying Sean Manai is going to get bumped because of that, but there's more pressure on him to perform. I mean, sure. I'll, I'll say it's possible. 
Yeah. Like with Shamanaya hasn't been such a, a can't miss pitcher that, that this is a, a situation that he couldn't lose a spot in a, in a strong rotation. I mean, he had a four or five ERA in 2020, his peripherals in 2021 were a little all over the place. If you look at XERA, he was a, above four. So I'm not, I, I think there's a chance on Shamanaya loses a, a rotation spot at some point. Come on, guys. I'm right here. Like, <laughs> it's nothing personal. <laughs> you act like he's your son, Frank. <laughs> no, that's fair. Um, so, I'm gonna, something I want to pay attention to early in the season for him is velocity. So, mm-hmm. I think there was one game where there were some velocity readings for Manaya in the spring, and, and they were down compared to last year. A big reason why I've liked drafting him so far this offseason was uh, his underlying numbers were much better than the surface level numbers, and he had a big velo jump last year. So, I, I do want to see that carry over, obviously, uh, into this season with the Padres now. Players who have made their opening day roster, uh, you know, a lot of these players, I, I think we've it was kind of a foregone conclusion, but we we get some confirmation over the weekend. Bobby Witt Jr., John Heyman reported it of all people. I'm just like, all right, no Royals beat writers or anything else. I guess it's a big story, but just thought that was interesting. Bobby Witt will uh, start on opening day and likely be the third baseman for the Kansas City Royals. Spencer Torkelson will be the starting first baseman for the Detroit Tigers. He's made the team. Matt Brash, we mentioned earlier, uh, will be the fifth starting pitcher in the Mariners rotation. He's 33% rostered. If uh, you suffered some injuries early on and you want to look to add a starting pitcher, Stephen Kwan, someone I mentioned recently in our Deep Sleepers episode with the Cleveland Guardians. He's made their opening roster and... They need help in the outfield, so this is someone who makes a lot of contact, could hit for batting average. I think he has a few steals in the spring as well, so maybe chip in a little bit of speed. Uh, Spencer Strider. Scott, your boy, Spencer Strider. He made the uh, Atlanta Braves, and he's a candidate to be a starter if they want to go with a six-man rotation. I don't know if they've actually revealed their plans yet uh, completely with that, but Spencer Strider will be on the team at least. Yeah, well, it's a 28-man roster. His his last spring start, he got knocked around pretty good and I I was reading one of their beat writers and, and they think he needs more work on his secondaries and of course he started out last year at low A so that's not surprising I think he's going to be up to be a reliever with Tucker Davidson filling the fifth spot if they need or, or the sixth spot if they need to go six man uh, so I would not expect Strider to stick around long but and not in a role that's going to be particularly useful but of course if, if he blows the doors down that could change things and then there's a few other names here um chris if a player hasn't been optioned to this point do you feel good about that prospect making the opening day roster i mean three names that stand out to me very clearly julio rodriguez who had another monster game on sunday bryson stott who's hitting i believe over 500 for the phillies and then cj abrams who i really thought was like a very slim chance of him making the opening day roster Mm -hmm. it actually looks kind of likely now so what do you think about those three yeah, I mean, AAA season starts on the 5th, not the 7th. So they actually have to be ready a couple days early. And I think there are probably some extenuating circumstances with with some players who haven't been optioned. But yeah, with Rodriguez, Stott, and Abrams, I think at this point, I'm, I'm assuming those guys are going to make their teams. And that is v- incredibly exciting for Rodriguez, um, who is an absolute must-draft and probably top 150 pick. At this point, I keep like, moving him up. I keep I keep moving him up, and what's not the argument him for being, moving? What's him the up argument more? for him being significantly behind Bobby Witt? I mean, Bobby Witt played at AAA, which I, Julio Rodriguez didn't get. As did Julio Rodriguez make it to AAA? No, no. Okay, so 
Bobby Witt presumably more ready, certainly more seasoned. More, pro- more proven in the minors, I guess. I don't think the upside is significantly different for these guys. I mean, th- these are both potential fantasy superstars. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, Julio Rodriguez needs to be moved up a lot. Yeah. He is up to 148 for Scott. I have him inside my top 140. He's someone that just keeps climbing for me, too. 136. I think he's right around my 40th outfielder now in the rankings. And I, I think once we get that to 130, once we get that actual confirmation that he's on the roster, I mean, I, I could see moving yeah. him up even further. So now he, he seems like the most surefire. I like I'm not I would be very surprised if Julio Rodriguez doesn't make the roster at this point. Stott, I think, you know, Alec Bohm's been doing work with Kevin Long to, short, to shorten his swing and, and the past couple of days have gone better. I, I think if I think if the Phillies decide they want Bohm at third base, Stott's going back down. So I'm not necessarily counting on that one the the one we need to really talk about here though i think is cj abrams because we haven't we haven't really discussed him as a as a realistic possibility and he's a consensus top 10 prospect himself he would be making Mm. a very big leap sort of like julio rodriguez would be uh but the padres have shown a willingness to do that with fernando tatis himself with chris paddock guys who you know, they just made such a strong impression in spring training that the team decided they were ready, and it, it worked out great for both of them in their rookie seasons. Abrams has 80-grade speed, pretty much top-of-the-scale contact ability, too. And, yeah, you know, scouts were hoping he'd develop power. He's hit for power this spring, at least. So, like, there's an all-around... Uh, more than anything, the speed is something we need to be excited about. Like that mm-hmm. alone should get him drafted in, in rotisserie leagues. It's not clear that he would be. We were talking before, and I think you said, Frank, you saw somewhere like it, he'd start out as a platoon at shortstop. Yeah, strong side platoon, bat against right handed pitching. That's what Bob Melvin was saying. Right, because yep. he bats he bats left handed. Of course, if if you're if your up and coming superstar is playing well, I think that's only going to continue to earn him more at bats. He can play center field, you know, when Tatis comes back, if Tatis is shown, he can play the outfield too. So like, I don't think it's going to be like, if Abrams is up and he performs, he's not overwhelmed. Like he's going to be up all year. He's going to be playing a ton. I, I wouldn't even really consider role so much for him. It's just, is he here or is he not here? And if he's here, then he should be rostered everywhere. And like, that was one of the guys I blew out my fab budget for in, uh, in TGFBI, and I'm surprised no one else did. And again, that's a 15-team Roto League, so speed is hard to yeah. come by, and it, and it makes sense that you're being aggressive there in terms of the fab bid. Uh, Scott, loaded question here. Four prospects who uh, either have... They're basically all having good springs. We know with O'Neill Cruz that he's not going to start with the Pirates, but O'Neill Cruz, Jeremy Pena with the Astros, who there's been some buzz about. C.J. Abrams, Bryson Stott. How do you rank those four? Okay, it it depends on the format. O'Neill Cruz, one. C.J. Abrams, two, but closing in on one. And then there's a gap. I would go Pena over Stott in Roto. I would go Stott over Pena in points. All right, makes sense to me. Uh, Before we get to some other news and notes, there's bunch of stuff that happened this weekend. Thank you so much for all of your listener league submissions. We appreciate all of your thought and creativity. Some really great stuff that we received. Uh, there was a video 
like recreating the clown scene, but with Scott, it's like someone like made an animation out of it. It was, it was amazing. Uh, so between that and songs and poems and people making up lyrics and, and just the great stories that we received. Again, we really, really do appreciate all of your I submissions. I don't know how I got like my facial construction in cartoon form. It's like, it's like he turned me into a South Park character. It was, it was very strange. Impressive. It was so yeah. good. Uh, maybe yeah, I'll play it at, at at the end or beginning of... Uh, I was literally whatever. shaking after watching it. <laughs> it was good. It was good. Uh, but these will be the names. I have chosen the names uh, who will be in this week's 16-team head-to-head categories for the People Draft. Again, Tuesday, April 5th, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll be doing that draft live on YouTube. We'll turn it into a podcast as well. We had 12 spots available since Scott, Chris, me, and whoever wins the FBT Bracket Challenge. We're still waiting for the uh, the national championship game on Monday night. Those will be the four other spots. Uh, but without further ado, here are the 12 that will be competing against us. Neil Kaplan, Jocelyn Corkum, Brendan Sargent, Andrew Skalicki, Tanner Frost, Colin Faint, Adam Najemi, Matthew Burnett, Jason Gallup, Joshua Weddle, Ashley Harper, and Doug Rowe. If you heard your name, please come to the front of the classroom. No, I'll, re- mm-hmm. I'll reach out to you and I'll get your email and I'll send out some invites and, and we'll get everything set up before Tuesday's draft. But uh, if you just heard your name, I'll be in touch and uh, we'll, we'll make it happen. Let's take a quick break and when we return, talk about Max Scherzer, Zach Wheeler, Ronald Acuna, a few other notes, and then we'll get to spring risers, fallers, uh, and some bullpens as well. Here, Fantasy Baseball Today. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. All right, so let's talk about Max Scherzer. He tweaked his hamstring on Friday. He'll throw a bullpen session on Tuesday, and if all goes well, should be able to start on opening day. Uh, Zach Wheeler threw 45 pitches over two innings on Saturday in a minor league start, and Joe Girardi said that Wheeler is expected to throw 60 pitches in his next outing on Thursday, and if all goes well, he should make his season debut next Tuesday. That's April 12th against the Mets. So far, so good for Zach Wheeler. Ronald Acuna played in a simulated game on Saturday. The plan is still for him to return in early May. Uh, Tigers outfield prospect. This was a big one this weekend, too. Riley Green diagnosed with a fractured foot. He won't have surgery, but he'll be out six to eight weeks before he can go on a rehab assignment. So this one's looking more like eight to eight to ten weeks, maybe something like that. So we see him the middle of June, end of June. Mm-hmm. Maybe if they want to yeah, play it safe, we don't see him until the second half of the season. Um, he would have been, I think he would have been 
on the opening day roster, if not for this. So that mm-hmm. that's super frustrating. Yeah, he was having a strong spring as well. I'll uh, pull up the numbers here for him. He was 9 for 21, two homers, uh, three walks, six strikeouts, 429 batting average, 1548 OPS. Small sample, but uh, Riley Green looked awesome. Um, yeah. Scott, if you're still doing drafts, do you look to select Riley Green with the hope of you know, stashing him on the IL? Well, yeah, actually, no, no, no. You're probably not going to be able to yeah. stash him because he's going to be on the minor league IL. So, yeah, you won't even yeah, be able to Yeah, I would assume they option him down. Yeah. I, I'm not sh- sure. Is he on the 40-man roster? If he's on the 40-man roster, then he may go on the 60-day IL. But I'm not sure. Well, they, but why would they put him on the 60-day IL? It's not necessarily a... Uh, I, I don't think they have a... Okay, he's not on the 40-man roster. No, so he's not. Yeah. Yeah, he'll um, almost certainly be optioned back yeah. to AAA. To yeah. So that, yeah, make, that makes it harder to yeah. draft him, Scott, because we can't even put him on an IL spot then. Yep. All right. Yeah, yeah I probably I probably won it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, in a 12-team league, I don't think you can. It's yeah. tough, yeah. Uh, Justin Upton was designated for assignment by the Angels, um, and then they said that Joe Adele, Brandon Marsh, and Taylor Ward are all in line for significant playing time, so... Good news for our guy, uh, Joe Adele there. Justin Upton, he was having a strong spring. I think he'll probably wind up uh, with with another team soon. D-backs utility man Josh Rojas will be out, quote, weeks, not days, with a grade two right oblique strain. Uh, Geraldo Perdomo is a name to watch in deeper leagues if you need speed. He has uh, two minor league seasons with 24 or more steals. Again, the name there, Geraldo Perdomo, likely to start at shortstop for the D-backs. Austin Meadows exited Sunday's game with quad tightness in both legs. If he can't go to start the season, maybe we see Vidal Brujan back on the roster. Maybe Josh Lowe, so something to pay attention to there. Mike Clevenger was scratched from Sunday start with knee soreness. He's a candidate to open the season on the IL, as Scott mentioned, uh, which would allow Nick Martinez to stay in the rotation. Orioles manager Brandon Hyde said Sunday that Adley Rutschman has resumed hitting and throwing after dealing with a tricep strain. Good news, Scott, for Ranger Suarez. He's expected to make his regular season debut on Monday, April 11th against the New York Mets. Garrett Crochet will undergo Tommy John surgery. Uh, and in two trades that went down over the weekend, the Marlins acquired Cole Sulcer and Tanner Scott for a comp B draft pick. Antonio Velez, Kevin Guerrero, and a player to be named later. <sighs> Chris, I'm not sure that we want anything to do with either of these bullpens right now, but Marlins, Orioles... Do you have a lean here? I don't know. You have to think they made this trade with, you know, the the idea that not having Dylan Floro, they needed some more back end bullpen help. So maybe they lean Solcer. I, I don't really, I don't really have a feel for it. Like the, the Marlins want a closer. This is they're, they're they're definitely a team that prefers to have one guy if they can. But I have no idea who that guy is going to be right now. Yeah, I hated seeing this trade as somebody who just drafted Dylan Floro again last night. Because now they're just... If yeah. if if Solcer's getting it done right away, or, or maybe they go Anthony Bender instead still. If they're getting it done by the time Floro gets back, I mean, there just may not be justification to change. It's not like he was some... It's not like he was some relief ace who was always destined for the closer role, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Anthony and Bender I, was Bender's pretty, good. Yeah, Bender's good. 2.79 ERA last season, 1.06 whip. 
uh, 10.4 K per nine. He throws hard, averages 97 with the fastball. He's got a strong slider. He, is, he gets ground balls, nearly 50% ground ball rate. I think he's a good pitcher. He's having a strong spring, mm-hmm. too. So uh, if I had to guess who the first person up for the Marlins is, I think it's going to be Bender, but they have some names. They have Bass. They have Cole Solcer as well now. So uh, we'll see. Uh, and for the Orioles, I mean, I mean, it gets worse and worse. Like, they just don't have anybody. They have, like, Jorge Lopez was better as a reliever last season. Somebody tweeted at me, yeah. Felix Bautista. I, I, he has 11 saves in the minors, lots of strikeouts, but... You know, I, I think as, as as somebody who was starting to maybe flirt with the idea of drafting Cole Sulcer, I'm kind of relieved this trade happened because that would, <laughs> that would have probably been a poor investment given how few saves the Orioles are going to have and how inconsistent and how, you know, just... I, what's happened with him the past couple of years is basically no one's ever... They haven't gotten save chances often enough for anybody to really seize the role and i suspect that's how it's going to go again and they just they spread it around too in uh brandon hyde has been there since 2019 his two full seasons he hasn't had a reliever with more than 11 saves so pretty gross which is also a product of not having many good relievers which is also an issue for the Orioles still so it's yep like if they had one good reliever i'm sure they would settle on him (laughs) but this is a team that is not trying to win games. Yeah. It's kind of like what happened last year with the uh, Cincinnati Reds. Like, I'm sure they want a closer, but, you know, no one's really stepping up and, and getting it done. Uh, one other trade here. The White Sox acquired Reese McGuire from the Blue Jays for Zach Collins. Scott, I saw you tweeting about this. Do you think this could actually affect uh, Alejandro Kirk's playing time? Yes, I do. Uh, I took the tweet down because I wasn't as confident the more I looked into it. Them getting Zach Collins back, okay, that's a third catcher. Collins has options. As, as I understand it, and Reese McGuire doesn't. So yeah. it still seems likely they're planning on beginning the year with just two catchers. And if you have only two catchers on your roster, it's difficult to play one at DH because then if he has to replace the catcher, you lose the DH spot. So, you know, I, I'm not saying I'm I'm off Alejandro Kirk because of this, but it's it's not what you want to see. It's not what you want to see. Let's get into spring risers and fallers. Let's start with the good news there. Uh, the players that have been moving up our draft boards, moving up our rankings. Chris, why don't you get us started? A few names that have been climbing up for you. Um. Well, Joe Adele, who didn't need to have a good spring, but it's it's been very good to see him having a good spring, hitting the ball very hard. And the plate discipline's been, you know, good enough. Eight strikeouts and 36 plate appearances. So, you know, that's the big concern for Joe Adele. I've liked him all along, obviously. Anybody who's listened to the podcast knows that. But, yeah, Joe Adele is someone that I'm drafting pretty much in all of my leagues if I got the opportunity. And, um, you know, I don't think there's any question that he's got a ton of upside. And he's showing it in spring training. So I'm very excited about Joe Adele. Three homers, three steals in, in 13 games. You know, we talk about Julio Rodriguez and Bobby Witt, and I don't know if Joe Adele has that kind of upside, specifically with the stolen bases, but, I mean, he's that kind of prospect. And just because he's been around for a while and we've been talking him up, I mean, you can go back to 2019 and listen to preseason 2019 podcast where we're talking about Joe Adele and saying he's someone potentially worth stashing. So I get why people 
have some fatigue with him and, and think, oh, maybe he's not that guy anymore. But all he's done is produced in the minors since then. He had, you know, a really bad 2020 in the majors, which given the circumstances, I don't hold it that much against him. He showed promise last season and signs of improvement. Joe Dell, very, very excited. Good yeah. spring. And again, the home runs that he's hitting, these are monster Bombs. shots too. Like we mentioned it in the stat cast ability. It's uh, the max exit velocity and the sprint speed. Like the tools are there. It's just, you know, can he make contact enough? And so far this spring and, and last year when he got his opportunity in the majors again, he did that. So I, I think again, he makes contact. Good things will happen for Joe Adele. Scott, some players that have been rising up the ranks and draft boards for you throughout spring. Well, I have a long list of names here. <laughs> Let's go. Mirac- miraculously, we've talked about many of them already. So let me just rattle off a few so that we've. Yeah, I didn't want to mention names that we've already mentioned or that I know you guys are going to mention. I'm, I'm, I'll just go ahead and rattle some of them off. Um, Matt Brash, mm-hmm. Hunter Green, Bryson Stott, Jeremy Pena, Spencer Torkelson, CJ Abrams, Gavin Lux. Although one thing I did want to bring up with Matt Brash. Okay. He's not necessarily did George Kirby get sent down already? Yes. No, he's, okay. he's he's won the job. He's been confirmed. No, no, no. I just wasn't sure if George Kirby still had a chance to make the roster. Okay. I, I will confirm okay. it, but I am like eighty percent sure I saw yeah, he will begin the season at double A, George Kirby. Okay. Yep. He's very so, exciting as well. The Padres beat writer for MLB.com, AJ Casavell, who is the one who's really talking like CJ Abrams has a chance of winning the everyday job. He also he is also saying that Robert Suarez is looking like a strong bet to begin the year in the closer role for the Padres. And so that is somebody I would consider a riser. Uh, he was a closer in Japan the past couple of years, a very successful one, especially last year. He had a 116 ERA, throws a lot of strikes, gets a lot of ground balls. They have alternatives there if he doesn't work out, but they, they seem awesome. pretty happy. They seem pretty happy with what they've seen. Yeah, Lamette's interesting with that fastball slider pairing, but it's he's having a rough spring. And you Is just he? it's yeah, it's was he bad today? Because he was really his numbers were really good before today. It might have been today then. Uh, yeah, I was looking he had earlier. six strikeouts and four innings, one or one run allowed before today. And and I know something that has prevented good relievers from getting closer roles in the past is like you have you have to be available a lot to be a closer. Mm-hmm. And given Lamette's history, I, I don't I don't know that they're in a place right now where they can count on him to be. Uh, even if maybe maybe they will be at some point. Well, Jesus Lazardo, we haven't talked about him yet except enlisting pitchers we'd like to have. But yeah, his velocity way up this spring. He's been throwing his breaking ball a lot more, um, which is exactly what we want. Even without the velocity jump like that, that looked like that was going to be the key to his breakthrough because his fastball just wasn't that effective of a pitch, but he had good secondaries. And so mm-hmm. we had some hope that the Marlins would get him and, and change up his pitch mix. And maybe that would allow him to meet his potential. Now he's throwing his fastball like 99 miles per hour. Maybe it'll be an effective pitch too, and we get the best of both worlds. So Lizardo, you've made the comparison before, Frank, to Lucas Giolito uh, needing a couple years, taking his lumps for a couple years before just suddenly taking off. And I think that's a, I think that's a, 
interesting comp for Jesus Lazardo. Stephen Kwan has made the Guardians opening day roster. And last I looked, hasn't been updated with today's stats, but last I looked, he had not struck out in yeah. 29 plate appearances this spring. And that's, you know, you look at his minor league track record, he makes a ton of contact. He started hitting for power between AA and AAA last year, hit 12 home runs in 77 games, slugged 527. Uh, I would not- love to see some StatCast data on him, you know, either from the minors or or from spring training, just because mm-hmm. if there's something behind those 12 home runs in 77 games last season, it makes him a lot more interesting. If not, I'm super wary of the good plate discipline, no power profile. He's free, though, is the thing. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, that's he's it's, worth drafting. It's not clear that he has a job. Like, he's free even in, like, 15-team leagues. Yeah. I drafted him in a 10-teamer tonight. But it's one with it's a full minus one for strikeouts, full minus one point for strikeouts for hitters. So it just it just seemed like he was well suited for that format. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it's not clear he has an everyday job yet for the Guardians. But but like their outfield is yeah trash. So <laughs> I'm not saying the people. No, are that's deserved. no. I understand that is deserved. <laughs> okay, people get offended when you say you you call players trash okay like obviously i'm talking about their numbers being trash it's just i don't i don't hear you say it often scott so when you do it it's just yeah. catches me by surprise like a little scotty slam dunk all over the cleveland guardians outfield uh yeah roster resource has steven kwan in a platoon for now but again the names here bradley zimmer uh owen miller owen miller i think is having a good spring uh oscar mercado he's had chances hasn't been able to do anything so look if steven kwan hits he's going to get an opportunity for me justin verlander mentioned him a ton so far uh the past couple of weeks he's up to sp15 in my rankings he's got a 1.32 era in spring velocity is there over a strikeout per inning he looks like justin verlander so far uh matt brash you mentioned scott spencer torkelson torkelson only has four strikeouts in 30 plate appearances i thought that was uh really impressive for him and some deep league names we're talking al nl only 15 team roto Merrill Kelly, I brought his name up once before. Oh, yeah, yeah vo- I meant to bring him up. Yeah. yeah, he's been really good so far. And Brent Strom is is the pitching coach in Arizona now. So seven innings pitched, just one hit, thirteen strikeouts. Isn't his velocity up too? It wasn't. It was up in his first start. There was actually Statcast data for his second start, and it was up like he, he half said, a mile per hour. Because he's been getting a lot of strikeouts too, and he said yeah. he put in a lot of work in his changeup this off season because he says it hasn't it hasn't been very good the past two years. So he he's he's made a it, what sounds like could be a significant ar- arsenal change because he's in the Cactus League. We don't have a lot of data to to really back this up, but um, you're looking at the results and and looking what's being said about him and the fact that Diamondbacks just over the weekend signed him to an extension, so they like what they see. Mm-hmm. Merrill Kelly is is in deeper leagues, somebody who I'm starting to get kind of interested in. Other very deep names. Diego Castillo, not the reliever for the Mariners, projected to start at second base for the Pirates. He's hitting 321 with five homers in spring. Uh, Kevin Smith now with the Oakland A's. He's been uh, hitting 333, three homers, two steals. Kyle Higashioka leads all yeah. of spring training with seven home runs. He's batting 478, 11 for 23 so far. He's He like reworked his swing. Yeah. He modeled it after Josh Donaldson. He's always had some pop. I I think I moved him up into my top 20 catchers just because why not? 
there's yeah. not very many good ones anyway. So in two catcher leagues, showing, yeah, no, that's that's what I'm saying. Is he's someone who's worth adding? Like, I'd rather have him than Carson Kelly in a two catcher league, and at least just hope that there's some kind of lightning in a bottle thing going on there. Yep, good lineup, ballpark to hit in as well. So a lot of playing time. Yeah, I, I know they traded for Jose Trevino over the weekend. He's likely going to be the backup catcher to start the, the year, but Higashioka is the guy. Garrett Cole really likes him too. So, you know, if nothing else, uh, you have the support of the ace on the pitching staff. <laughs> Mickey Moniak is the last one I wanted to mention here. Former first overall pick back in 2016, a long time ago. He's nine for 29. He's hit five home runs and apparently working very closely with Kevin Long. Everyone wants to work with Kevin Long now. He reworked Kyle Schwarber's swing last offseason. We saw the results there. Uh, but he is very respected as a hitting coach, and he's done this time and time again. And uh, apparently Mickey Moniak might be the latest um, there with uh, Kevin uh, Long. A couple deep names that we I'm sure we haven't really brought up on the podcast before that just caught my attention this weekend. Paul DeYoung of the Cardinals. He worked with some hitting guru this offseason. Uh, and we've known, I forget, I forget which one, one of, one of the famous ones who's worked with a bunch of other hitters to help them fix their swings. We've seen guys have big turnarounds because of that. And he's, he's put a, he's had a huge performance this spring. So I think he's back to being something of a sleeper there at shortstop and David Peralta suddenly hitting for power. I believe his story is similar. I don't have it ready to go off the top of my head. Uh, okay, so here it is. He, uh, okay, no, he he worked with somebody to fix the swing. Sorry, <laughs> no, I saw yeah, no, I, it, I saw something similar too, Scott. And then the numbers are jumping off the page so far: nine for twenty-seven, yeah. four homers, three doubles. Now, again, these are deeper league plays. I'm not. If it's a standard head-to-head lineup, three outfielders, one shortstop, I'm, you're never going to get to David Peralta and Paul DeYoung. But like, if if you're in leagues where over 300 players are drafted in late rounds and, you know, the obvious, uh, some of the more obvious spring risers like Matt Brash, Jeremy Pena, they're all gone. You know, you, 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 it doesn't take much to, to it, it, you, you look for upside anywhere you can find it. Like it doesn't take much for you to sit, squint and say, okay, I, I could see how this guy could have, a bigger year than people are expecting. And I, I think David Peralta and Paul DeYoung fall into that category. All right, let's get over to some fallers. We're not going to get to bullpens today. I'll save that for tomorrow. We've got both predictions coming up tomorrow as well. Uh, we'll hit the bullpens. I, we haven't talked about each bullpen individually in a while, so I just want to quickly run through that and try and predict whoever we think is going to lead that um, their respective team in saves. Chris, why don't you get us kicked off here with some fallers throughout spring? Okay, it's harder to do spring fallers, but I, I don't think you can do this conversation without talking about Cody Ballinger, who's just, I mean, he fell to 142nd in a draft that I'm currently doing, a slow draft. He has 17 strikeouts and 28 plate appearances. It, it's That's almost a two-thirds uh, strikeout rate. That is just impossibly bad. He's, you know, he's been talking about how he's, you know, he, he doesn't seem too concerned about it. You know, he's talking about how he's working on his swing, and there was a funny quote about getting the, getting the strikeouts out of the way now so they, don't, uh, they don't, aren't there in the regular season. But this was the, you know, we, we, there's been a lot of Cody Ballinger versus Christian Yelich discussion this 
season or this preseason. And one of the things that made me prefer Christian Yelich was that he just kind of, it seemed like he just needed to get healthy or be healthy. Whereas Cody Bellinger, like he looked lost. There wasn't anything promising about Cody Bellinger last season, even the, the postseason when he, you know, had like a 900 OPS, it was a lot of singles. And so, you know, even the underlying numbers, he wasn't hitting the ball hard at all. It just, we're hearing nearly daily reports about him changing his swing and his setup. And I don't know, maybe it's all an overreaction and it won't matter and and all that, but I I don't see how you can't be pretty terrified about Cody Ballinger right now. Well, we got an update on Friday, apparently, he, uh, Dave Roberts said that Bellinger may have found a batting stance that he likes. <laughs> Quote, I think he's found a consistent setup, and now he just needs to get the repetitions. I don't know. Maybe it was some cruel April Fool's joke. Well, like, it, it's... Like I said, I drafted him 142nd overall when he fell there in, in a head-to-head points league. It wasn't like I needed an outfielder, but it was, it was one of those things where Cody Bellinger just kept falling, and at some point, the talent's worth it, but it's terrifying right now. Like this is, I know spring training doesn't matter, but this is not a guy who just needs to go through the motions, at least from my perspective, like Cody Bellinger has something to prove to me. Right. And that's, that, that, that's the thing. I mean, it's, it's one thing for Dave Roberts to say, Oh yeah, he's now he's fixed, you know, (laughs) but like he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt anymore. Yeah. Chris, who would you, so, I was going to say, who would you draft, Chris, right now? A riser versus a faller, Julio Rodriguez or Cody Bellinger? If both were sitting there, I think I would take Julio Rodriguez because there is a better chance that people are just going to keep passing on Bellinger. Scott? Would you Based take- on what I've seen this week, at least. Scott, would you take Julio yeah. or oh, uh, I would def- I would definitely take Julio. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, Definitely. All right. Uh, uh, I, honestly, I have more confidence in him. Yeah. No, I, I look. It's it's hard to blame you again. Like spring, for the most part, for veterans does not matter. But for players that we we need something, we need you know players who should strikes. be out to prove something. Right? Like prospects or players coming off down seasons uh, or or injuries. Like you need to see something. And Bellinger is one of those names. Mm-hmm. And so far, again, we we haven't and, seen it. And so. and I feel like strikeout rate's one of the things that matters more, yeah. especially when it's. Mm-hmm. excessive one way or the other. Like I mentioned it for Quan, and I'll mention it for Bellinger too. Yep. All right, Scott, any followers for you? Why, yes. Well, the uh, question Bellinger's is... Bellinger's the biggest one. It, it's, harder to, it's harder to find followers than risers. Yeah, Just because you don't want to bury anybody based on spring stuff. But, uh, of course, Dylan Floro's a follower for reasons we mentioned earlier. Alec Bohm's a follower. Follower. Blah, follower given the potential for him to lose his job to Bryce mm-hmm. Scott. Although he's been doing work with Kevin Long and has been hitting better in recent days. So uh, I, I think I already said that this podcast, right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, Mike Clevenger's a faller. He hasn't looked good. Luis Severino, he's, he's had a lot of reasons for concern. Though his last start was good. I'd still call him a faller. Blake Snell, a faller. Um, Luis Castillo's a faller for me. Yeah, that makes sense. Blake Trinan, an obvious faller. Yep. reasons he can't help. So here's one I, I want you guys to tell me how you feel about it. Because I may be on an island here, but I was really high on Aaron Nola coming in. I was the highest on him. I think we did a rankings dispute on 
on him at one point. He was like my number eight starting pitcher, and I, I've moved him down uh, in the time since then. Let me see. He is 12 for me, so not not so far down, but it's not the produ- the production in spring training. He's given up some home runs. I'm not worried about that. That That's not the thing that I'm worried about. I'm just... The more I start to, th- the more I think about it, the the harder it is to get a past just how bad this Phillies defense could be, and the fact that he did see a rise in his fly ball rate last season, you know the the peripherals all suggest things should be fine for Aaron Nola, but if there's one way in which you can underperform your peripherals, it's with really really bad defense, and he had really bad defense last season, but. You know, maybe that's a reason to think that he's not just going to bounce back to what the peripherals suggest the way that I hoped he would. I'm more worried about the home runs than the defense. And I didn't like that he was giving up so many home runs early in spring. His, his he, he made a start Sunday. It was amazing. He allowed mm, one hit, yeah. a home run, <laughs> struck out nine against the Tigers. Ton of whiffs. Uh, yeah. And and but the thing is, I mean, the Phillies had the worst defense in baseball last year. It's hard to get worse than the worst. And but it can. It was worse. already an issue for him. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's no, not no, like no, it's, no. The, his his issue last year was home runs. What I was about to say is, like, the home runs were what brought him down last year. Pretty clearly, it wasn't the defense. And I think, just by law of averages. I mean, certainly, certainly, if they remove Alec Bohm from third base, that's going to help the defensive situation. Um, but you know, they had, they had Zach Wheeler who nearly won a Cy Young last year, Aaron Nola, you know, it wasn't so much the balls in play it was the balls out of play that hurt him. And obviously he misses a ton of bats. So I, I hear what you're saying. I, I just, I'm not worried about it in the same way. I think he's, I think he's the sort of pitcher who you don't worry about that so much because. Yeah. Like I said, for me, it's less that I'm like worried and more that the the story I was telling myself about him figuring it out or about him getting to the peripherals last season, it's a little harder for me to tell myself that story, I guess is is the way I would put it. The Babbitt last year for Aaron Nola too, it was 308. That was his highest since 2017. So yeah. that might have been related to the defense. And it's higher than his career mark too. So I, you know, he was giving up more fly balls and typically fly balls lead to, you know, more doubles and obviously home runs don't account for Babbitt. But uh, yeah, things just kind of spiraled for Nola last year. And I added him, Chris, to, to my bus 2.0. I, yeah, removed, I added him to my bus as well. I removed Carlos Rodon and I, I put Aaron Nola in there. I just never find myself drafting him. If, if I'm in the third round, I'm taking Sandy Alcantara or I'll wait till the next round and, and take like Lucas Giolito instead or something like that. So I just, I was drafting him earlier, but I I don't think I ended up with him on any of my leagues that I'm actually playing out. Yeah. For me, I wanted to mention uh, Jesse Winker. He's one for 26 this spring. I don't think it matters all that much, but I do think maybe there could be a transition period here, moving over to a new team, not as good of a ballpark to hit in. And Winker is someone that you need to, you need him to perform when he's healthy because he misses so much time. So if he gets off to a slow start and that's something that can really affect his overall production. So Jesse Winker, he's just a a faller from the start of spring because he got traded to a worse situation. Yep, for sure. I I dropped him in my rankings when he got traded to the Mariners. Uh, There was a few names I wanted to ask you guys about. Scott, Kyle Hendricks, I know someone that you liked earlier in the offseason. He's given up 12 earned runs, six homers, over 11 and a third innings so far this spring. I don't know that it matters much for him, but he is someone who 
coming off a very bad season, I, I kind of wanted to see something from him this spring. What do you think? I would prefer to see something than not to see something. <laughs> sure. Right. Uh, ultimately, ultimately, I feel like he's the sort of pitcher who you should ignore his spring. I mean, we've talked about it before. If he's if he's not impeccable, then he's likely to get pounded. And it stands to reason during your warm up phase, you're not going to be impeccable. He's he's identified the problem is not locating down and away well enough last year so he's been working on that and and i've talked about it before he had a stretch like 15 starts in the middle of last season where he was awesome so it it's not like he was rough from beginning to end uh so i think it's still in there and you know i'm treating him the way i would most veteran players where if if i don't have obvious reason to think there's diminished skill I'm, i'm just not worrying about the spring numbers chris nelson cruz old gray beard I've seen this guy play a few games already spring, and I'm, I'm not used to it. It's like, he's guy's got a lot of gray in his beard now. He's, he's getting up there. Uh, he's three for 30 with 10 strikeouts. He's probably someone who doesn't even want to be in spring training, so I don't know that this matters very much, but he's older, and, you know, strikeouts are something that I think we should pay attention to. So, I, I, I like the way you framed it. Like, he's getting up there, and he's older. Nelson Cruz was getting up there a decade ago. <laughs> he's just he's there. He's just up there. He's been living there. <laughs> he's there. For about seven years. Yeah, no, I I don't know. Like I guess there's a little bit of concern because of how bad he was with the Rays last season and, and maybe that was the start of, you know, a decline for him, but I don't know. He was bad in spring last season and it didn't carry over into the regular season. I I can't get myself worked up about anything with Nelson Cruz in spring training. He's I feel like the very definition of going through the motions would be how I would assume Nelson Cruz's spring training goes. Makes sense to me. All right, we're going to wrap there. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework.